Hi, I'm Denisha Francis, Olympic gymnast representing Jamaica, and you're listening to Pro Sports Podcast. We are the Pro Sports Podcasters, where no sport is left behind. It's time for another episode of the Pro Sports Podcasters, with your hosts, Nee Wallace-Bruce, Corbert Durand, and Justin Williams. On this podcast, we have guests from all over the world, covering every sport from artistic gymnastics to weightlifting. We are something for every sports fan on PSP. Whether your interests are the athletes playing the game, the coaches, or the media, we've got you covered. Fun and informative, honest and engaging. You won't want to miss a single episode. So let's kick this off. Welcome back to the ProSource Podcast. I'm your co-host, Mr. Niels Bruce, and I'm joined by the talented Mr. Kobe Arond, a.k.a. Kobe. Kobe, how you doing? I'm good, buddy. I'm good. How are you doing today? Yeah, I'm feeling pretty good. The sun's out in in Toronto, and it's pretty, pretty good after the winter that we would had. A, a mild winter overall, but still, it's winter. <laughs> <laughs> and joining us a bit, little bit further south from Delaware is someone who's going to take us through, I guess, some of the less sunny parts of sport. Um, because, as we know, that sports isn't all beer and Skittles. There are some darker sides to it, and our guest has made um, a number of inroads in terms of investigating some of the rougher um, events that have graced sport in recent years. So, joining us from Sports Illustrated, it's Lauren Green. Lauren, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me. Pleasure to have you on. Now, before we get into some of the stories that you've covered, Tell us a little bit more about the, the Lauren Green experience. Tell us how you got to be where you are today. So I was very lucky to have gotten um, an opportunity to work with a semi-professional women's soccer team in New Jersey as a teenager. Um, they had posted on their website that they were looking for website correspondence. And I was 14 at the time and had to ask my father what a website correspondent was and after he told me had to ask if I had a resume and what that was and he just told me to go and email them and see what happened and luckily for me the people who were in charge of that team the New Jersey Wildcats had me write features as a junior website correspondent for the summer and I loved it and have been writing ever since um have had some stops at Bleacher Report covering WPS, um, Women's Professional Soccer. Spent some time running my own website back in the day, um, covering the early years of NWSL. Worked for a small women's sports website. And my first job out of college was a copy editor on the sports desk at the Philadelphia Inquirer. So all of that got me (laughs) to a point where about five years ago now, I was offered the job working as a fact checker and a writer at Sports Illustrated. There you go. It's quite a journey. <laughs> and having spent a lot of time in Philadelphia, are you a fan of the Philly-based teams? Do you have any, I guess, leanings in terms of teams that you support, or are you completely impartial? I grew up in the area, so I have grown up with Philly sports sort of ingrained in me, but sort of, ha- you know, sort of take a step back being in journalism, even though I don't necessarily cover any of those teams. But there was... There was a lot of Philly sports, especially the Eagles and the Flyers, um, growing up. So definitely supported them. Probably spend a little less time watching them now, with the exception of 
the Eagles being in the Super Bowl this year <laughs> and unfortunately being another Philly sports team that just couldn't bring it home for us. Indeed. Just like the Phillies in the World Series. I know Kobe wants to ask about the Super Bowl, so off you go, Kobe. Go on. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm not, I'm not going to go there. Lauren, is it just a fluke or is it was it a plan for you to cover sports at some point? I feel like at this point, like, I don't know that I had a plan necessarily, but I've always wanted to write. And I knew that I wanted to write probably from the time I was like 10 years old. I would write these super long involved stories for school projects and just really loved it. And the journalism aspect of it didn't really even sink into me that it was a thing that I could do at it. I remember thinking at like 12 or 13 going, I want to write for Sports Illustrated for kids because I got those magazines and loved them and always had tore out the articles about either soccer or women's sports in general because it didn't pop up very often. So when it did, I was like, yes, I'm taking this. And I am I still have a folder in my house of old, old, old clips from the early 2000s and sort of was like, yeah, I, I want to write, but didn't have a plan, didn't think it would actually happen. So when it started to sort of fall into place, it was like, okay, yes, this is what I want to do with my life. And I've been very fortunate to have landed in some places and with some incredible people that have allowed me to continue to learn and grow throughout the time I've been writing. Now, if women's sports was something you were really focused on, you've got to be pretty impressed with how how much women's sports has basically surged coming out of the pandemic. Uh, professional women's sports especially has really caught on in the last couple of years. Oh, for sure. Um, it's been pretty incredible to see, especially on the soccer side, a women's professional sports league that's been successful and has continued to grow even through some incredible challenges. And to be going into an 11th season is remarkable. Mm -hmm. Now, you cover some pretty heavy topics. When yes. covering those topics, do you do a lot of the investigative journalism yourself? Or does, is a lot of it sort of researched for you and then the information is passed on? Oh, it's all me. Everything that I've done has been... I, I started covering um, gymnastics and the Larry Nazar case with a small women's sports site that I had worked for at the time and had an editor there who said to me, just keep digging, you'll find something. And that stuck with me. And it's the reason why I was able to then place my first piece with Sports Illustrated in early 2017 and freelance for them for about 18 months. But that was all on my own time, my own dime, getting documents, learning how to navigate websites like Pacer to get the documents and mm -hmm. then be able to read them and figure out the legalese and what was useful information for me and sort of boil that down. Do you get a lot of blowback from an article like that? I haven't personally, no, but I know that there have been other reporters that definitely have in the past. So, but that's not something that I've personally had to deal with, thankfully. Okay, good. Yeah. And um, I've got to tip the cat because it's... Like Kobe said, it's not easy subject to cover, but you're brave enough to delve into it and and share those stories. I, I got to ask, with that in mind, do you feel like sometimes when you're going through some of these documents and when you're putting some of these things to print, do you feel like it takes an emotional toll on yourself from an empathetic point of view? Oh, absolutely. In the beginning, I was I was very lucky that 
it was a side project for me. So for a lot of that time, like I could take a step back and walk away from it for a couple of days or a couple of weeks and then come back to it when I was ready to. And when I stopped freelancing, it started being more of the regular part of my job. That sort of distance didn't exist for me at first because I wasn't great at stepping away. That was something I really had to learn and work at to be able to process the sorts of stories that were being told and to deal with those interviews because doing a whole bunch of them all in a row is really emotionally draining for me just to listen to and then to go back and transcribe and then have to write those stories. Um, It does definitely take a toll. Yeah, I I, I would imagine there'll be some, there may even be some trauma by osmosis. Uh, Now, I guess on a wider scale, if you can, what are some words of advice you'd pass on to some of our listeners? Because we're still in the pandemic, but people have gone through some stuff. So what are some words of advice you would have to folks who have been through some trauma and adversity in terms of ways they can, but ways they can bounce back, if you will, or recover a little bit? I mean, I would just say to take your time and sort of take that step back when you need to. Um, going full steam ahead at these sorts of stories, whether that's in sports or otherwise, it's really, really hard. And it it was something that was passed down to me by um, another writer who I really admire. And he kept telling me, take care of yourself. These are like they're going to take a toll. Make sure that you're taking care of yourself. And that didn't really hit until I'd spent 18 months on a project and I had been going full steam at it. So it was one of those where that is now in the back of my mind when I approach future stories and can make sure that I'm taking care of myself first before I'm starting to push through these projects. Mm-hmm. And, and you touched on advice from one of your peers on, on your way up whether it be through freelancing and getting to where you are today. Did you have a a particular mentor or a group of mentors along the way? I've been very lucky to have an incredible group of people that have helped, whether that be through passing my name along for job opportunities or being someone in the industry that I can lean on and ask questions to um, still to this day. And so there's been an incredible group of people that have done that for me. And I'm so grateful for that. Awesome. Yeah, Lauren, it seems the majority of the scandals that you've sort of covered in in sports, whether it be athletics or soccer, what have you, it, generally it's an abuse of power and it's usually an institutional problem. But is there anything that sort of sticks out to you that that's similar across every story you've, you've come across? Oh, definitely. The abuse of power always comes up. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's become an issue where it seems like you see very similar stories in a different sport. Like the phrase I always use is same story, different sport. And it's really true because you see that in the U.S. we had issues within USA Swimming and then you had USA Gymnastics and then USA Taekwondo and none of those organizations were, and I've written about this, um, those organizations seem to have very similar problems. Okay. And from a, you know, my, my personal opinion was I had expected to see organizations start to learn and be like, we don't want to be like that organization. And I'm hoping, like, I'm a, I'm a hopeful person. I try to be optimistic that that's something that we will start to see hopefully begin to change. Are you ready to stay fit this winter? 
Get off the couch with Kettlebell Kickboxing Canada. Sign up now to their mobility and movement program. Use the code PSP15 to get 15% off the one-time purchase of the program. Then it's yours forever. No additional subscriptions or fees. The program is available worldwide. Now, back to the show. Now, do you think that social media and just the sharing of information will help prevent those sort of things from happening in the future, or does that not make a difference? I think that social media has given a platform for athletes to share their stories and for athletes to get support in how they and when they share those stories. We saw in gymnastics right around the time that the Athlete A documentary got released on Netflix. It was a trickle-down effect where a lot of gymnasts felt empowered to speak out about their own experiences within the sport that had not been – they might not have been uh, sexual abuse like we saw with the Nazar case, but there were other forms of abuse, the physical abuse, the emotional abuse. And that was able to gain a lot of steam through the gymnastics community on Twitter and Instagram, among others. And it wasn't just in the United States. It sort of spread around – the world, really. We saw that ha- those athletes who were in Australia and New Zealand and I believe some in Europe as well that were coming forward and saying, like, this is what happened to me. And it was this moment that allowed that had allowed these athletes to be able to come forward and share what they had experienced. Now, if, if you're an athlete and you feel like you're experiencing some form of abuse from the powers that be above you, if you can't go to someone within the organization, where would you suggest they go? I know that in the U.S. we have an organization called the U.S. Center for Safe Sport that is supposed to be the organization that handles forms of uh, sexual abuse in particular, but other forms of abuse, I believe, as well. They're handling those cases within the Olympic movement. So you have to be in a governing, you have to be in a governing body that is under the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee. Okay. But I know that there are a multitude of problems that have come up within that organization as well. So I don't know that I can make a recommendation for how to report. I just hope that athletes have somewhere that they can go and where they will be heard and those cases ultimately investigated to two conclusions. Yeah. You know, when you mentioned it, you said it kind of skeptically. <laughs> and it is a very sort of specific group that it covers as opposed to a wide group. So, yeah, you you definitely need something that's beyond that. Yeah, absolutely. And hopefully we see third-party organizations come up if there is a void right now that, that can provide that support. Now, thinking about gymnastics and Athlete A, I remember Kobe and I spoke to a, a gymnast a couple of years ago from, from the UK, and mm-hmm. – she didn't necessarily reference Athlete A, but she did talk about even just the attire, how there's a change to the way that uh, women wore attire in gymnastics. And I feel like that may have come from a documentary like Athlete A. So uh, there's definitely been that trickle-down effect from streaming services like Netflix and the like. Now, looking at gymnastics and swimming, these are typically what you'd say amateur sports, I guess, the way that the Olympic movement looks at it. After the investigations that have taken place, do you feel like there's been genuine change that will last into the future? I think that there's been steps taken in gymnastics specifically. I know that there's been a lot of the people who were involved are no longer 
working in the sport, and that is a positive step. But I also don't know if all of the systemic changes have necessarily been made that will prevent this from occurring. I know that USA Gymnastics has made some changes within how they handle the program, and I think those are steps in the right direction. But I also know that it took years and years of litigation to get to a point where some of these changes were starting to happen. Um, so it's not a, a quick process. Um, it takes a whole lot of time. And the survivors in particular have had to put a lot of their time and their energy into making sure that those changes happen so that this we don't see this happen again 5, 10, 15 or more years down the line. Mm-hmm. And I've got to say here, here to that, also, you touched on having optimism that hopefully there'll be some learnings from this. Do you feel like the cases in the U.S. will be, I guess, a wake-up call to other organizations around the world, maybe? I hope that they are. I hope that people have seen, like, hey, like, this has happened. And essentially, like, we don't want to be like that. We want to make sure that our organization is one that puts athletes first and protects them and is able to put those take those steps so that you don't see this happening in other countries. Whether that happens or not, I'm not so sure. Mm. Watch this space and keep our fingers crossed. Yeah, uh, Lauren, you're obviously a realist. I like it. I, I like that about you. And I do also like the way you write, by the way. I've read a number of your articles, and I, I do like the way you write. Now, because you've covered so many topics heavy topics of a similar nature. Have you ever considered potentially putting a book together? I've gone back and forth and thought about it. And I think at one point I thought it was a lot more feasible until I looked at it realistically and realized that it was a lot more work than I was able to do at the time. Okay. But I'm not ruling it out going forward. I, I think that some of these ex some of these deserve more space than we can sometimes put in print or online. And so I'm not ruling it out going forward. And I mean, I guess you sort of fell into the investigative journalism size of sport because it's it's a, a strange sort of niche to have. Most people turn to sport as an escape, but you're looking at the, the much darker, deeper side of things. So do you kind of miss the opportunity to write more lighter subjects when it comes to sport or, or are you actually getting some of that in? So it's funny that you mentioned that because um, my the editors that I work with right now have it, it's sort of like a, a thing that we say now like hey you might get to write something happier um, <laughs> and after spending so much time covering the darker side of sports it is nice to get to write something a little bit lighter and a little bit more normal and things that I had sort of started out writing mm -hmm. whereas the investigative stuff I love and I wouldn't change it for the world. But it's also something that like needs a little bit. It needs something to balance it out. Have you got to like interview or meet any sports stars of yours? Like people you were you know impressed by? Me, I don't. I haven't done as much in person coverage, especially lately. But I was able to cover the USA Gymnastics Championships in 2018, which was the first nationals that Simone Biles was back to compete at. Okay. And it was the first time that I had gotten to see her compete in person. And that was absolutely incredible. Um, you see it on TV and, you know, watch the videos back and it's remarkable what she does. But seeing it in person was a different level. Did you play any sports growing up? I played soccer for six years and then I was a ballroom dancer in college. 
ballroom dance. Yes. We learned both international and American styles, so I think it was something like 19 or 20 total styles that we were taught various bits of, and I competed for three years. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> i, I got to ask quickly, did you ever watch the movie Strictly Ballroom? I did not. Um, probably should at some point. What's your take on the way the NWS has evolved since you started covering it to today? I think, like... For me, it's almost night and day difference because I covered NWSL from 2013 through the first few months of 2016. And it always seemed like there was that, you know, that almost air of, is this league still going to survive? And coming back to it now, it's really incredible to see the growth, the way that there are just the number of teams, the way that they're expanding. It's, it's incredible to see how much they've grown over 11 years now Hmm. and hopefully continue to tick upwards. Indeed. And we are in a World Cup year. I feel like this is an obvious question. Are you going to be following that? I will be watching. Um, The time difference is going to be an experience. But if all else fails, DVR does exist for me. (laughs) DVR does exist. Now, we we have to ask, based in Canada, what's your take on the – Canadian women's team. They did knock off the US on the way to gold in Tokyo. Do you feel like they're they're going to be contenders in Australia and New Zealand, or is that more of an aberration in your opinion? I don't like to rule anyone out. Um, <laughs> it, it's it's a bad like ruling teams out. I just don't do it. Uh, but I think that what Canada was able to do at the Olympics was a huge step, and I hope that that momentum can keep going because I think that would be huge. Absolutely. Are there any other teams that you're seeing as contenders or even dark horses for the tournament? Expanded tournament, by the way, the first 32 team World Cup. I think that that's incredible that they're fine, that it's to see that growth again, just to see that it's fantastic. I mean, I think you have your usual groups of teams that will be contenders at the World Cup. Quick question, Lauren. Do you yes. think, do you think NIL is good for professional women's leagues that, that, that don't actually pay that much yet. I think the NIL has opened up so many opportunities for these players, like for athletes to maybe like to make, be able to make a little bit of money off of their, their name. And also like for sports that maybe you don't have a professional league to go to afterwards. Mm-hmm it allows them to not have to make the decision on whether they're going to be professional or whether they're going to remain eligible for college. Like your swimming, your gymnastics, um, those sorts of sports that you don't necessarily have that afterwards, but for, for like basketball and soccer, et cetera, like seeing them come out with people already knowing their names. Yeah. Mm. And I think that that's especially important and it helps with when they do make that jump to a professional league, they have like a following already. Okay. So you're looking at it from a marketability standpoint for the the individual player. Yes. Okay. But I'm talking about like there are leagues. Are you familiar with the, uh, the PHF? Not off the top of my head. So it's a premier hockey federation, professional women's hockey league. Okay. They've changed names since the last time. Yes. <laughs> since the last time I was paying attention to them. <laughs> <laughs> right so generally the average salary there it's it's pretty low and mm-hmm. you can now have players 
with NIL contracts that are even higher. So do you think that sort of hurts a league like that where maybe they can't offer the kind of numbers that the colleges are offering? That's interesting. I actually hadn't, I haven't thought about it that way. Um, I think that if they're able to go and play in college and then go to a professional league, perhaps like that gives them sort of the best of both worlds. Mm -hmm. Um, But I don't know that like a, a league if, with those salaries, maybe it isn't able to compete with NIL, although I'm not quite familiar with how much that might go for for women's hockey at this, just off the top of my head. Yeah, no, I, I mean, there's also like Athletes Unlimited, they have a number of sports that they cover. And again, salaries aren't that high. And those are sports that you have the potential of making more in college through NIL than you actually do of going pro with those kind of sports. But I guess that's something that'll come up later. I'm very interested in NIL. It's such a fledgling thing. We'll see how it all rolls out. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, Lauren, we can find your work over at Sports Illustrator, but where can we find you on social media? Where can our listeners find you? You can find me on Twitter and my handle is at Lauren, L-A-U-R-E-N underscore green like the color Zero eight. All right. Awesome. Eight's my favorite number. Eight is a good number. It's very popular in East Asian culture. It was an old soccer number that just kind of stuck with me. <laughs> also, were you were you more of like a midfielder? I was a midfielder for most of the time that I played growing up. Um, occasionally played forward, but got yelled at because I came back and played too much defense. Ah, so you're more of a six by the size of things, like a, def- a holding midfielder. What's your favorite classical dance? I was very partial to waltz and quick step when I competed. Okay. <laughs> the good old waltz. There we go. Well, it's been a pleasure to have you on. Thank you for your time, Lauren. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. For even more of your favorite sports content, be sure to visit the website www.prosportspodcasters.com. On our website, you will find our sports blog, full podcast library, access to our YouTube channel, and deals from our affiliate partners. You can also sign up to become a PSP Insider and get exclusive access to our insider tips, sponsor giveaways, and insider newsletter. So don't miss out on the full Pro Sports Podcasts experience, where no sport is left behind.